Joining me today on this week's episode of Cine Chill is Justin Robinson, who currently works for Film Right. And when he's not working for Film Right, he's working on his own very personal and moving story about his brother, who sadly passed away a number of years ago. So my mom had a VHS camera, kind of one of those typical stories where I got a hold of it, started making you know stupid videos back in like 2004 with my older brother Jordan. And this is way before YouTube, and I was editing on Pinnacle Plus <laughs> Nine or something like that that my brother had gotten me from somewhere i don't even know where it came from and there was no royalty free music so i was downloading like space jam soundtrack and anything i could get my hands on it was basically like a cleaner version of jackass type of videos so it was just us running around and when we had a hurricane we lived in florida at the time we would just go run around and do like a fake news report so it started with that and then it kind of grew into like 2006 we made sort of a, a wannabe rambo film where a bunch of teenagers playing like 40 year old you know FBI, CIA, mercenary, whatever you want to call it, guys are fighting the Russian mafia. And and uh, that's where we showed that film. I mean, it's like a silly, hilarious film, but we showed it at someone's graduation party that, that year. And there was like 150 people there. And I mean, people are like laughing because it was so cheesy, but like just having a having a fun time. And I kind of, that was the first time I ever saw anybody watch anything that I had made. And it kind of just was like, oh, I think this is what I'm going to do. So it spanned from that to I just started saving up and, you know, I was burning out handy cams at that point. So I went from VHS to like mini DV and high eight cameras and then saved my money for a Sony HDR FX1 camera and then got an iMac, started editing. YouTube came out, did a couple of videos and then slowly went to college and started making some sketches. And, you know, I, I met a couple of people in the film industry from that and from some shorts that I had made. They asked me to come work in the film industry and, and I was like, well, I've never been a second AC. This one guy asked if I want to be a second AC on this film. I said, I've never done that. If you think I can do that, I'll do it. And I worked as a PA rate on my first, actually that was my second feature, but the the first time I had ever been a second AC and long story short, I did four movies with them. That same DP is a second AC and just started getting my foot in the door of different avenues. It was a PA, AD, second AC and started working. And then on my own time, I was just making sketches and, you know, someone like Ryan Conley, I was sending my sketches to him for feedback and I didn't know till later, but he started to keep up with what I was making. And then I made an action film called Number 14, this little, basically a little short film I wanted to have a stunt reel from. That was the goal. And sent that to him and he emailed me and was like, we need to work together. And then like six months later, flew out, met him. We did Proximity. And then three years after that, we didn't see each other. We kept in contact. And I was working on a documentary about my brother and I was in Texas. So I was staying with him and he was asking me, you know, what's next? And I was like, well, I'm a freelancer. I do all these different things, but I just, you know, I, I think I want some like full time right now and blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, well, why don't you come work for me? So that was January 2016. And he was like, we don't even have a job for you. And so a couple months later, I flew out to Texas and have been here. So it's kind of been all over the place. What part of filmmaking is it that you want to do? Uh, I want to write and direct. And so that's kind of been my here at Film Ride. I do a little bit of everything, but before yeah. and hopefully after, you know, anything I do, it's it's mainly been writing and directing. Back in the day, I used to have to kind of act. I would have to shoot it or tell my friend not to move the camera and then go hop in and <laughs> and you know out of my friends i was the the one that looked most like a guy who would do drugs so if it was a character like that that's why usually i would i would have to hop in but yeah my main passion is writing and directing did you have a moment where before you picked up a camera you wanted to have a go at filmmaking from watching movies well there was 
the way my, my dad was a pastor and we were homeschooled. So we were pretty sheltered. And so my parents were like, we weren't even allowed to go to the movie theater as kids. Right. So there was a lot of movies even today that I'm still catching up on. Someone's like, yo, have you seen the Godfather two or, you know, some, and I'm like, bro, I'm still behind. So I, I missed out on a ton of movies early as a kid. So I didn't have some like, you know, I know what Jurassic Park and Jaws, stuff like that. But that was yeah. like only if I only if I was at a friend's house, I would get to see that type of stuff. But I did watch this this basketball movie, this cheesy little basketball movie about Pistol Pete, who was a basketball player. And, and basketball was what I thought I was going to do with my life at that point. So I watched that film before every game. It's called Pistol, uh, The Birth of a Legend. It was made, I think, early 90s. But I would watch it before every game. So that was probably the most influential movie yeah. as a person. Person, but also because I remember they always had like I could tell the defenders in the game were just terrible actors like I was like they're not even guarding him you know so I was like if I'm ever gonna make a basketball movie it's gonna be real because that was something even as a kid I was like they're not even you know it doesn't even it just looks like they're letting them score type of thing but I didn't have like a magical you know I saw Star Wars or Jurassic Park and I knew I wanted to do that but it just came later so my influences of film have kind of come later too like in college was when I you know started watching Quentin Tarantino or the Coen brothers a crazy one of the most memorable movie watches of all time my older brother who I was really close to named Jordan he died of cancer and oh man actually actually today 9 years ago and it was like 3 days after that my high school basketball coach who was Jordan's coach as well took me up to this cabin in North Carolina to kind of get away from it all and we went to block we went to blockbuster and you know I, I was way behind on any type of movie watching experiences and I remember he just grabbed the film No Country for Old Men and I had never seen a movie like that. That was my first Coen Brothers experience. And then also just in light of like within a week of my brother being dead and I'm watching this really slow paced, like they're holding on shots for minutes and I had never experienced anything like that. So I can still remember that movie. And I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan, but I, that's probably the most visceral like movie experience i probably ever had that's one of my favorite coen brother movies as well i mm, remember so good yeah I, well, I remember watching it and i wish i saw it at the theater but i didn't i saw it on the on dvd and i was, yeah. I was watching it late for the first time but i nodded off and then i woke <laughs> up and then you know the way it just suddenly ends yeah. and then i thought have i nodded off again and i actually rewound the film 10 minutes i thought they, uh, and it took me a while to grasp that ending, but now when I watch mm -hmm. it, I'm like, yeah, that that's the only way that film could end. That came out around the same time as There Will Be Blood, and those two yeah. films that year were my favorite films that year. So you like doing the, the, the writing and directing, so do you get to do much of that on Film Riot, or do you get to go to um, them with ideas, say, hey, I've come up with this idea, or, or you know, how does, does, does that work? It it, it kind of changes every day, but I've written a few episodes that we've done kind of more so like stuff I've learned in the film industry, kind of sharing that through an episode. But uh, film writing, I mean, it's like it's Ryan's workhorse. So it's like, you know, I've told him before, I'm, there's not a lot in my bank account, but I would bet my whole bank account on you. So it's like, you know, however I can help make that happen. So like when, when he did Ghost House and Chainsaw last fall, I was like the prop master, production designer, set dresser, sort of producer, sort of you know a grip so it's kind of like for here it's kind of whatever i can do so but for me right now i've been working on a documentary about my brother's life which is the first documentary i've ever done wow but similar to you i never went to film school i went to a college and they had broadcast media which is kind of just a term for i don't know people who are going to start working at a restaurant it's like a <laughs> mediocre like it's not really it doesn't really breed the 
you know, so I did that, but I learned pretty quickly, like from, from that movie I watched as a kid, Pistol Pete, I was a big basketball fan. And one thing I took away from that movie was if you want to be the best basketball player in the world, you got to be the first one on the court and the last one to leave. And if it's raining outside, you got to be the kid shooting in the rain because no one else is going to be. And so that translated into film for me because I didn't have, you know, a rich, rich, rich uncle to fund my shorts. And yeah. I didn't have anyone to, to teach me about screenwriting. You know, I hated reading and writing as a kid. So yeah. upon watching movies, you know, I was kind of behind on like reading things. But when I got into college and high school, I was, I, I started writing. So I just downloaded, you know, professional scripts and just mm-hmm. looked at the formatting and downloaded Celtics for free and then just started writing and grew to love that probably more than most things, you know, to my surprise. So writing, even if I don't direct later in life, I would still love to write for other people. But uh, yeah, I kind of translated that into college. So I spent most of my college just writing sketches, you know, when I should have been taking notes and yeah. then just made them on the weekends with friends. And, you know, it's like anything else. If you hustle hard enough, people are going to start to notice. And that's, you know, every short film I've made, even if it's not turned out, you know, incredibly, it's, it's, it's gotten me some sort of conversation with the next filmmaker and the next filmmaker and the next thing. So you've mentioned the Coen brothers. Have you got any other directors that you're discovering now that you, you know, you're, I mean, now my brain thinks you've never seen seen any movies at all and you're like it's like you've just been given the keys to the toy shop type thing um which i'm sure isn't the case my favorite directors would you know it's it's hard because i like i don't have like that one you know a lot of people like they love david fincher or christopher nolan like they like he's a you know a religion so it's like anything that he puts out they see no flaws type of thing and i kind of like a a bit of a lot of different directors but i love hitchcock you know rear window and rope are brilliant to me and i love you know inglorious bastards and i love reservoir dogs but i don't love all of tarantino's stuff i like those two films and i don't really care for the other ones and i love jeff nichols did like mud and that's probably the closest thing to something i can relate to wanting to make yeah. type of stories. like small characters i love i don't know if you've seen taylor sheridan he wrote sicario and hello high water and just wrote and directed wind river no which is uh he have you you haven't seen Sicario? I've seen Sicario. That blew okay. me away. It was great. Okay. Crazy enough, that was his first script. <laughs> and so he wrote that, then he made Hell or High Water. He wrote that. A guy named Craig McKenzie, David McKenzie directed that. It's got Ben Foster and Chris Pine. Small yep. little indie film. But so I've grown to love him and he's just started to directing. He was an actor for twenty years and then just started writing because he didn't want to do it anymore. And so <laughs> I've kind of fallen in love with him. I also Jeremy Sauner, who made Blue Ruin a couple of years ago. But I lo- I just love the story of how he made Blue Ruin. Like he bought the C three hundred, he took took out his savings with his wife, and then they funded partially through Kickstarter and then I got some sort of financiers to finish the film and they you know, he cast his best friend and they made it for like under two hundred thousand or something like that and that was a movie I saw in the last couple of years that I saw that was just very impressive. So I kind of like those smaller movies that a lot of people don't go and see. Like I'm not a blockbuster guy. I don't care to see, you know, a lot of the big, huge movies that everyone knows. I am not a superhero fan, so I don't really see comic book movies. And, and no offense to anybody who does. I just I, you know, I like those smaller movies. Like if you see Wind River, that's probably the closest thing to something my sort of main passion in film, I like the indie films like uh, Mark Duplass, what he does. Have you seen any of his work? Yeah, I saw Blue Jay this year. Oh, I loved the cinematography. I loved how simple it was. And yeah. it just showed that, you know, you can make a 90-minute film about two characters without any huge 
situation mm. going on. Um, have you got any particular genres that you like or that you don't like, or is it all about story for you? People ask me that. I, I think the closest thing is probably, you know, just drama, but there are, I really love the show Fargo. And I think that type of almost black comedy, there's not really the best word for it. It's kind of weird to to nail down, but I kind of like that just because in my life I've encountered a lot of really weird people and I attract weird people like wherever I go, some stranger will come sit down with me in a restaurant and just start talking to me. And so basically I just have a folder of a bunch of weird dialogue that people have said to me. So I kind of, I, I enjoy the, the, the dramatic stuff, but also I kind of like that kind of quirky, weird, not Wes Anderson necessarily, but just kind of where every once in a while it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's based in realism, but it's almost funny, but it's weird. So it's kind of that bl- black comedy, kind of like that show Fargo. That's kind of where my heart lends to go. Yeah, I haven't watched that show. The last show I watched was 13 Reasons Why. And I mm. thought, mm, I don't think I want to watch a program about yeah. like teenagers. And I thought yeah. it's going to be like a soap opera. And I watched the first episode and I was like, yeah, I'm in. That's it. I'm in. And now it's like my favorite, without doubt, my favorite series this year. I thought it was just... Excellent. This documentary, and say it's the first time you'll have been making something like this. You know, what's what's your approach with this uh, this documentary? Well, yeah, it's definitely the first type of documentary thing. And so, you know, I, I knew the day he died that, you know, at some point I was going to tell a story in some way, but I had no idea how. And so basically I was still in college. I drove down to Florida where we lived in high school and just started interviewing people with my 5D and a crappy little lav mic and a $100 fluorescent light I had gotten off eBay. And so I just started interviewing people because just before they moved away or if, you know, I don't know, I just, I didn't know what else to do. So I didn't do anything else for like three years probably. And right, actually right before I started a filmmaker friend of mine, who's more of a documentary filmmaker than anything now, Nathan Willis, he sent me the documentary, Dear Zachary, a letter from a father to a son. I think it's just Dear Zachary. It is, I saw it on YouTube. It was uploaded like four by three years ago and it was just a full documentary i was watching it like four in the morning i was like oh, i'll just watch like a little bit and then i ended <laughs> up watching the whole thing and that's that is one of the best documentaries i've ever seen and also it kind of helped me because it, it's it's you know it's not the same story at all it's it's pretty insane of a story but it, it kind of structurally made sense in the documentary i was doing so that was probably the closest thing that was kind of like a mentor and how i i could make mine because for the first few years, I didn't have any idea. I was just interviewing people. And so I had no idea I was going to make it. And so years went by, you know, because in January, it'll be six years I've been working on this. And so a few years ago, I kind of realized that to tell this story from my perspective, I kind of have to be a part of it. I was just kind of scared that I may influence the story and kind of taint the picture of Jordan that I wanted to paint just because mm-hmm. he was such an incredible person. And I you know, and nowhere near that. So I just didn't want to take away from his life by adding any pieces of mine, even though he's pretty much been, you know, the pinpoint, the fuel for my life. Yeah. So basically when that moment happened, I just started to realize that, you know, I needed help because at, at that point I was doing it all myself. I was, you know, funding it myself. I was flying or driving anywhere just by myself and shooting the interviews and interviewing while I'm trying to check focus. And so I got a a DP friend of mine, Andrew Bradford, who just started traveling with me because, you know, I didn't know what else to do. So we have shot 101 interviews so far. So we just traveled and just started interviewing anybody I knew that loved Jordan. And then I just started cutting it myself and it's taken me forever, but I'm super close now to a full rough cut actually, which is pretty exciting. And then I'll figure out what I'm going to do with it. But I hope by 
Christmas this year that it's it's like in the sound color, if not finished ish phases. So yeah, Dear Zachary was <clears throat> was super helpful for my yeah. mental state of how do I even string together all this because you know my family we had shot a lot of home videos and so i had just been transferring and digitalizing all these tapes and yeah doing all these interviews but i had no idea to put it all together so like i finally tallied it up and i have like almost 450 hours of footage and you know 101 interviews <laughs> and all this stuff of like okay how do i now put this together so that's where i'm at now and i'm you know i'm over the hill i can see the finish line so I mean, just hearing that—that's the type of thing. I, you know, I'd I'd love to see if it was made, you sure. know, you know, available. I have no idea, man, because when I first started making it, you know, everyone's like, "What are you gonna? Are you gonna put it into film festivals?" And at the time, I didn't really know. Like, I was like, "Do you put a film in festivals about your dead brother? Like, is that weird at all?" You know, it's not. But I didn't really know. And at this point, I'm kind of trying to figure out, like, okay, what? Where is this gonna? Like, is this going to be something that someone wants or is this going to be just something I throw up for free on Vimeo? Like, I have no idea. I just want people to see it because I just want people to know who my brother is. That's the goal. But I'm kind of once I get this rough cut, going to be sending out for to people that kind of could guide me in that in that way, because everything I've ever made has just been by myself. And it's just been put up on Vimeo or YouTube. So with this, I want to be more careful or hopeful that it could be seen by so you want as many people to see it as possible, basically. Sure. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of people, they're like, you know, is this just for you or for your family? And I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of this is is part is, is my life as well, but I don't, I didn't make it just for me. You know, I yeah. want people to know who he is. That's the goal. And I think he's somebody that anybody could look at and, you know, feel something for or realize, you know, I'm similar. I'm, you know, he was just a normal, normal dude. Like there wasn't anything extraordinary. He didn't go to the moon. You know, he wasn't, you mm. know, on some reality show. He didn't have a million followers. You know, Facebook was just out, <laughs> you know, mm. he was still, Facebook was when you had to have like a college email to have on Facebook was when <laughs> yeah. he was still alive. So it's like social media wasn't even big back then, but mm. you know, yeah, I, I hope it's something that I can find a platform for where even if it is just in the end, putting it on free for Vimeo or however, you know, that's, that's going to be a bridge I have to cross and figure out. But yeah, I want it to be seen by as many people in the world. And even if you don't like basketball or even if, you know, you don't have an upbringing like me, I think it's an interesting watch. Hopefully we'll see. But something I'd I'd definitely like to um, definitely like to watch. And, you know, I've got um, an older brother. It is upsetting just to think about that. So, you know, I I, uh, I totally respect you, uh, you know, doing that because I can imagine it must be quite grueling the thought of for over 400 hours of of material i think it's pretty an amazing thing to do i think about too because it's like i'm i'm very much like you're just describing you know you can tell when someone doesn't care about something and and the way i am i can't take a step forward if i don't care yeah where i'm going and so with something like this it started to hit me you know because at first when i started editing this monster of a project it was like just don't get overwhelmed like don't think about you know don't look down because it's just there's so much stuff and no one's helping Mm. And that's just kind of been the way I've made stuff. You know, I would, I funded all the short films I've made myself. Like I would just save up and then, and fund it. Cause I didn't have any other way. And so with this, it was like, you know, as a filmmaker, you know, I don't, I don't see myself making documentaries. Like I want to make narrative stuff, but this was something that doesn't matter what it is. But if, if this was a script, this is one of those projects that you're willing to bleed. You're willing to cry. You're willing to sweat. You're willing to spend all your money. You're willing to die for like as a mm. filmmaker, I'm like, it, it doesn't get better than that as someone who wants to tell a story. And that's what kind of had to trigger my mind to be like, no one else is going to tell the story than me. And no one's going to tell it for me. And no one's better than to tell it than I am because I'm the one who knew him better than anybody. Sure. So 
that's kind of been a realization that I've had in the past year of just kind of being able to see the finish line, but also just the gift I have of, I mean, I would love to not make this documentary. I wish he was still alive, but the fact that he's not and the fact that I get to tell his story through this documentary, it's like just as a storyteller, as a filmmaker, there's nothing, there's no better material than to talk about or than to do than the way I feel about my brother. So that's been, it's been a new journey for kind of jumping in that documentary world and kind of just making it up as you go. It's kind of like, you know, screenwriting structure. You, you know it, but sometimes mm-hmm. you kind of break away and with documentary stuff, I'm just kind of like, I have no idea if this is going to work. And that's all I got. I mean, that's pretty much any, anything, but especially the documentary, it's been like a, I'm just kind of swimming out in the ocean, just treading water, just being mm-hmm. like, okay, hopefully, you know, I don't drown in all this footage. And, you know, I find a shore somewhere where I can take a break when it's done. To me, as you say, it's like you are a big part of it as well. That's got, I think that's got a lot of power behind it. Like that's, that to me is inspirational. Just hearing your brother Jordan had such an impact on your life that you want to, you know, uh, kind of preserve it with this story. That's really inspiring and that's inspirational. I think it's, I, you know, I've not seen the frame of it, but yeah. I know it's something that I, I want to watch. And I'm not just saying that because you're kindly donating your time with this uh, mammoth of a project that you've took on how do you even start to you know organize that footage like have you had days when you go right i know what to do i know how to organize this now or do you find like different workflows each time to kind of improve what you're doing like man <laughs> i'm sure there's so many things that i've done wrong like uh, i think i you know not only because i was jordan's brother and we were super tight i think I don't think any other editor at the, at the bare minimum from just getting all this footage could do anything with it because most of my memories were associated with what we had on video. So I was going back and finding like, oh, yeah, this happened because, you know, for a while after he died, it almost felt like I was the only one who knew him because he had had such a, a visceral and vital impact on my life. It was like, did no one else like it's not true, but it just kind of was like when I saw the footage, it was it was almost evidence of this kid's life. And his impact of just how merciful and loving and sweet of a duty was. So, you know, I just, I mean, people are like, you know, have you uh, transcribed all the interviews and stuff like that? I'm like, like, it's literally just, it's just me. Yeah. It's just me. You know, I've worked on this for almost six years. I've never made a documentary. So no, the interviews are not all transcribed. Like I would, there would be like a year that would go by and, and I would have to go rewatch some interviews to find yeah. that sort of spot. But so I just started editing like different sequences that I knew would be a good testing round yeah. for stuff. So like I first just cut an intro of his life, which was basically like a montage of just from a, a kid until he died and just to see if that would work. And then I didn't, I don't have like any sort of process. I mean, it's been a lot of just, I have no idea how to tell this. And then it's just kind of the next day it's gone with my gut of like, I just have to, to continually beat my head on the table until something works because it's what I do when I go to bed. It's what I do when I go wake up and then I come here to work at film, right. And then I go home and do it all over again. So mm. it's just something that I'm just kind of figuring out. I don't have like a recipe. I mean, it's just been a ton, a ton, a ton of work. Yeah. And I mean, it's just like anything else in life with your writing a script. I mean, it's just going to take months for this idea if it's good to stick with you and then you to figure it out. And, you know, I've never written a novel, but it's I picture a similar feeling of how long I've been working on this of just 
a massive, like, I don't know. It's, it's something that I wouldn't wish on anybody to make. And sure. I hope, you know, I don't have to make anything of this scale again, at least the way I'm making it. I mean, it's nothing wrong with it, but it's just been kind of insane. And I don't think a lot of people realize, I think they're just, most people assume like, oh, that's cool. You're making like a slideshow of your brother's life. And it's like, oh, I mean, it's a kind of like a documentary about, I went, I went everywhere we ever lived and interviewed, you know, all these people. So I don't think I answered your question. I really have no idea what I'm doing. I mean, that results that was that goes for most things, but this is just something where it's just been constant. Like if, if the documentary was a person, I'm just kind of looking in the eyes and be like, I'm going to be here before, you know, you're going to be the one to leave before I do. It sounds like the documentary is your unofficial full-time job. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. It has been for a long time. Do you find it like like therapeutic as a sort of um and as I say, I wanna tread very carefully. I I, I don't want this I don't want like I am not trying to push any buttons. I've done oh, no interest in that. I just like you know, it's uh it's it's interesting. Like I imagine it would be like hard but also a counseling type thing, you know, where I don't know what my approach would be with it, but I I imagine I would find it kind of, you know, it's like memories and it's like memories are the most important part of, of any experience. You know, if you, the memory's gone after that experience and there's no point in having that experience. And like what you're doing is guaranteeing that these memories are not just the, for yourself, but for the, for the, for the whole world, which, you know, I think that's pretty an amazing, that's that, yeah, that's a really amazing thing. How do you, your, your friends and, and uh, and family, you know, what's their thoughts about this? I have uh, two other older brothers. I'm the youngest of four brothers. And so Jordan was the third born. So were you the youngest, were you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we were all like three years apart. And <clears throat> my oldest brother, Jeff, I was interviewing him in 2012. And he was talking about, you know, a picture in a picture frame over time. It gets yellowed or shriveled or it gets dust on the frame. And in his mind, he kind of wants to keep the dust off of the frame so it doesn't feel like an aged memory. And yeah. like like you were saying with this, I mean, it is in a way. I mean, it's it's a story. And a lot of the story is Jordan's life and how it impacts my life and how my life is today. And it is in a way like tattooing. Because, you know, there's nothing like it's not me making a documentary going, hey, I'm trying to make this person look better than he was. Like I did 101 interviews and there was no one being like, yeah, he was a real dick. You know, he was a real like Jordan was the type of kid that no one would have a problem with. Like he was a kid that, you know, if there was a picture of 20 people and he was in it, he would be the last one you look at. But he's the best person in all 20 people and everybody knows it. But he's not he's not the the life of the party. But you're glad that he's at the party type of thing. So. It is something of just tattooing all these memories as as fact and, and exactly how I remember them and exactly how they are. And yeah. I mean, it is therapeutic. I mean, it's probably a lot of things. I think people are like, oh, my gosh, that must be so hard. But it's like, I mean, anytime I get a chance to revel in the past about Jordan is, is a great thing. I think that's a, that's that's kind of a miscommunication with a lot of people about people who have passed away. They think, Oh, we should never talk about them. Or we should never. Yeah. And I understand, I understand that, that perspective, but I think it's also like, no, I totally like, you can ask me anything. I would love to talk about them. I'm making a whole, you know, documentary of me just talking about them. So it's, I mean, it is therapeutic. It's brutal. It's, you know, I, I, I mean, it's a lot of things, but ultimately it just, it is what it is and I have to make it. And I know that I'm supposed to make it. And so, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see on the other side, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of hours just by myself cranking away at all this stuff that 
Mm. That's kind of how I've I've done everything else in my life. So it's not any different. It's just way bigger of a project, I guess. I mean, I guess with the film right job then, because, you know, obviously it looks like you guys have a lot of fun and that must be a real kind of good you know, release, I guess, from the full-time job of making this documentary where, you know, you can laugh because it does look like you're having the best time. It's pretty, it's a pretty insane environment because, you know, when you get on set, like I've, I've been a freelancer and, and, you know, you're on a movie set and you're just with a bunch of ragtag kind of, not outcasts, but like when you're on a, a set, there's a lot of random people that you would probably never meet. And so I kind of love that aspect. And, and even here, you know, they're all family. So it's a super kind of strange thing to describe just because it's like, wow, you've been making films with like your sisters and brothers. Like that's insane. I mean, Mm. it's cool, but it's like, you know, me and Stark, the guy who does visual effects here are the only non blood people, but it's, (laughs) yeah, it's, 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 it's not like any work environment I've pictured or, or know of. So it's, it's like, I'll scare, you know, I'll hide behind stuff and try to scare Ryan all the time. It's just kind of a bizarre, insane, you know, like yesterday I was wearing, we were doing some slow motion tests with the C200 and I was in like girl shorts with a wig and <laughs> dancing around. Doing so it's like every day you have no idea. It was literally from being a fan to tweeting him to him saying, come work with us in a sort of short way. Yeah, because I back in, you know, 2007 or eight, when I started watching film, right, when they started there, you know, I, I was pretty much because Vim, YouTube was so new and I was finding out about Vimeo. So I was pretty much following anybody I thought that was a respectable filmmaker or actor or whatever. So Film Riot was huge on the list because I didn't, you know, I didn't go to film school. I didn't have a bunch of screenwriting books. So I didn't know how to learn. So I was just watching movies and then watching anything on YouTube. And Film Riot was a, a big avid part of that. And so I would tweet him, yeah, sketches and just be like, hey, man, would love your notes on this. And he would occasionally give me notes and then. Like I said earlier, he kind of kept up with me and I didn't know that until I made this little action film and then sent it to him in December 2012. And as soon as he saw it, he was like, hey, we need to work together. He flew me out for Proximity, which was originally a different project called The Outsiders that I was supposed to do with him. And then we just became friends on that set and made this little film and then just kept in contact. And then three years later, I was doing stuff for this documentary and I was staying at his house and was just sharing stuff about life and he was kind of like dude why don't you come work for me like we'll just kind of make up a job so i don't have like a position it's just kind of like a little bit of everything so it was through our friendship but yeah it started initially i was just watching film right like any other aspiring filmmaker in high school college age type person where'd you get your ideas from for short films like where'd you get your inspiration from man that's a great question a a lot of them are kind of spurred from real life i keep note cards on my desk at work by my bed at home in my car my backpack my desk at home and so I'm always writing some sort of things and giving myself easy access to write down ideas. I have little baskets of, of ideas about this documentary and then ideas just about narrative stuff. And I have a whole Google Doc of just will be ideas and log lines and stuff. But I couldn't tell you where. I, if I knew where, I would go and camp out. But I don't, I don't know. Noel Gallagher from Oasis, he believes that the songs are already out there and he's just, they just come to him and he's just lucky. Um, which is a kind of strange way, but you can understand why you would think that. But then you think, well, he is very lucky because the songs that he's managed to write have been, you know, golden, like a lot of them. Um, one of my favorite parts of making a film and finishing a film and watching a film is the score. Like, do you have any particular favorite composers or any uh, soundtracks or, you know, the documentary that you're watching, are you going to, create the music yourself i have a friend who's actually composing 
And then actually, crazy enough, I have no musical skills, but I just got inspired and one night and wrote a song about kind of the documentary and kind of about me and my love for Jordan and a friend of mine wrote the music and then sang this little song that I'll use for the ending credits. But music is a big part of how I work. So Spotify is pretty much like co-written any script I've touched. And I use, I have like somehow, you know, you use a mood board for your film or for your DP or whoever. I use playlists. I'll just make a playlist of every single script idea I have. So the My Brother Jordan basically Spotify playlist that I've been editing to for years has 381 songs that I've compiled over the years and just keep adding to anything tone wise or anything that. So if someone was like, you know, I would if ever I send a script to someone to read, I send them a mood playlist and just something that I either I wrote to or just kind of fits the mood or the tone of it. So. But with the doc, it's, it's really weird because it's a, it's a very emotional, very heavy film. So, like, you don't want to over overdo it with that type of music. So there's parts with just no music. And, you know, I'm kind of figuring that stuff out. But music is a big part. Spotify is, is a gift. I think the music should help tell the story of what's on the screen. It shouldn't be, as I say, using it as a trick to make the audience feel a certain way. Like when you watch E.T., if you've seen E.T., you know, that music isn't tricking anybody. It's like it's it's complementing the visuals on the screen perfectly. Just the same with, you know, when you mentioned about you made this like montage the first thing that came to mind was the beginning of Up. That film just hits you. That shows more story than in that five minutes than the eight hours of Transformers films that are out there. <laughs> so, yeah, and more. Um, so with like regards to the tone of your documentary, I imagine it's going to be like quite a uplifting story just to hear about you know hear about your brother. It's not just going to be. You know, not the word. I don't want to use the word sad, but do you know what yeah. I'm trying to try? What I'm trying, like what I'm trying to say, like there'll be a lot of joy in this film. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. There's a lot of everything. Yeah. There's even some, you know, just from our upbringing. There's a pretty funny. I think it's funny. We'll see. But you know, since our dad was a pastor, we were kind of automatically involved for any church activities. And at the church we were at when we were kids, we did like these really terrible musicals. And so just some of the outfits they had us wear. And like there was this one shot of me with like some sort of postcard cut out into like a huge flower that you wear as like a hat but on your face, not on your head. Yeah. It's very bizarre. So there's stuff like that that we kind of it's it's just like I mean, it's just I'm just it's like if you came over and I showed you every home video, but not in the one that's like this is my aunt Jamama when she's opening presents. It's like mostly it's all pretty quick and the more interesting stuff that I would. So I don't know how it'll play, but yeah, it's not just, oh my gosh, it's so sad. I mean, it yeah. is sad, but there's a lot of everything. So it's a, uh, it's kind of, you know, Saving Private Ryan is one of those movies that's like, it's not just a warm movie. It's, it kind of takes you, I mean, it's just like any Dunkirk I picture. It takes you through all the emotions. It's sad, happy, joy, laughter, all those things. So it's not just, it's a one tonal shift of a movie where it's just sad. I think it's, you know, again, I don't know how it'll come across, but it's, it, it is a lot of that. Once you've got your documentary complete, which how close would you say you are to having it complete? Probably 85% on a rough cut. And then it's something that I don't think there's going to be a lot of like massive editorial changes. I think it's just going to be trimming the fat type of thing. I could be wrong, but yeah. What will be next after that? Have you got an idea what you're going to do next? Uh, I'm not sure. I have a lot of short ideas, but I have a couple ideas that might be features. Some might save those, but I'm I'm definitely going to make a few shorts before I touch a feature. But I don't know which one. It'll just be deciding. But 2018, I I feel 
and I have to make sure it knows who I am after not doing narrative stuff for a couple years doing this doc so Justin best luck with the documentary and thank you very much for your time thanks for having me man Thank you.